Letter 5 of An Authentic Narrative of Some Remarkable and Interesting Particulars in the Life of John Newton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An Authentic Narrative of Some Remarkable and Interesting Particulars in the Life of John Newton by John Newton. Hardships Endured in Africa. Dear Sir, There seems an important instruction and a frequent use in these words of our dear Lord, Mine hour is not yet come. The two following years, of which I am now to give some account, will seem as an absolute blank in a very short life. But as the Lord's hour of grace was not yet come, I was to have still deeper experiences of the dreadful state of the heart of man when left to itself. I have seen frequent cause since to admire the mercy of the Lord in banishing me to these distant parts, and almost excluding me from human society, at a time when I was big with mischief, and like one infected with a pestilence, was capable of spreading a taint wherever I went. Had my affairs taken a different turn, had I succeeded in my designs and remained in England, my sad story would probably have been worse. Worse in myself, indeed, I could have hardly been but my wickedness would have had greater scope. I might have been very hurtful to others and multiplied irreparable evils, but the Lord wisely placed me where I could do little harm. The few I had to converse with were too much like myself, and I was soon brought into abject circumstances that I was too low to have any influence. I was rather shunned and despised than imitated, there being few, even of the negroes themselves, during the first year of my residence among them, but thought themselves too good to speak to me. I was, as yet, an outcast lying in my blood, Ezekiel 17, and to all appearance exposed to perish. But the Lord beheld me with mercy. He did not strike me to hell, as I justly deserved. He passed by me when I was in my blood, and said unto me, live. But the appointed time for the manifestation of his love, to cover all my iniquities with the robe of his righteousness, and to admit me to the privileges of his children, was not till long afterwards. Yet even now he bid me live, and I can only ascribe it to his secret upholding power, that what I suffered in a part of this interval did not bereave me either of my life or senses. Yet, as by these sufferings the force of my evil example and inclinations was lessened, I have reason to account them amongst my mercies. It may not, perhaps, be amiss to digress for a few lines and give you a very brief sketch of the geography of the circuit I was now confined to, especially as I may have frequent occasion to refer to places I shall now mention. For my trade afterwards, when the Lord gave me to see better days, was chiefly to the same places and with the same persons, where and by whom, I have been considered as upon a level with their meanest slaves. From Cape de Verde, the most western point of Africa, to Cape Mount, the whole coast is full of rivers. The principal are Gambio, Rio Grande, Sierra Leone, and Sherbro. Of the former, as it is well known, and I was never there, 
I need say nothing. The Rio Grande, like the Nile, divides into many branches near the sea. On the most northerly, called Pecheo, the Portuguese have a settlement. The most southern branch, known by the name of Rio Nuna, is, or then was, the usual boundary of the white man's trade northward. Sierra Leone is a mountainous peninsula, uninhabited, and I believe inaccessible, upon account of the thick woods, excepting those parts which lie near the water. The river is large and navigable. From hence, about twelve leagues to the southeast, are three contiguous islands, called the Bananos, about twenty miles in circuit. This was about the center of the white man's residence. Seven leagues further, the same way, lie the plantains, three small islands, two miles distant from the continent at the point, which form one side of the Tabro. This river is more properly a sound, running within Long Island and receiving the confluence of several large rivers, rivers unknown to song but far more deeply engraved in my remembrance than the Po or Tiber. The southernmost of these has a very peculiar course, almost parallel to the coast, so that in tracing it a great many leagues upwards, it will seldom lead one above three miles, and sometimes not more than half a mile from the seashore. Indeed, I know not, but that all these rivers may have communications with each other, and with the sea in many places, which I have not remarked. If you cast your eyes upon a large map of Africa while you are reading this, you will have a general idea of the country I was in. For though the maps are very incorrect, most of the places I have mentioned are inserted and in the same order as I have named them. My new master had formerly resided near Cape Mount, but now he settled at the Plantains, upon the largest of the three islands. It is a low, sandy island, about two miles in circumference and almost covered with palm trees. We immediately began to build a house and to enter upon trade. I had now some desire to retrieve my lost time and to exert diligence in what was before me, and he was a man with whom I might have lived tolerably well if he had not been soon influenced against me but he was much under the directions of a black woman who lived with him as a wife. She was a person of some consequence in her own country, and he owed his first rise to her interest. This woman, I know not for what reason, was strangely prejudiced against me from the first, and what made it still worse for me was a severe fit of illness which attacked me very soon before I had opportunity to show what I could or would do in his service. I was sick when he sailed in a shallop to Rio Nuna, and he left me in her hands. At first I was taken some care of, but as I did not recover very soon, she grew weary and entirely neglected me. I had sometimes not a little difficulty to procure a draft of cold water when burning with a fever. My bed was a mat spread upon a board or chest, and a log of wood my pillow. When my fever left me and my appetite returned, I would gladly have eaten, but there was no one gave unto me. She lived in plenty herself, but hardly allowed me sufficient to sustain life. 
except now and then when in the highest good humor she would send me victuals in her own plate after she had dined, and this, so greatly was my pride humbled, I received with thanks and eagerness as the most needy beggar does an alms. Once, I well remember, I was called to receive this bounty from her own hand, but being exceedingly weak and feeble, I dropped the plate. Those who live in plenty can hardly conceive how this loss touched me, but she had the cruelty to laugh at my disappointment, and though the table was covered with dishes, for she lived much in the European manner, she refused to give me any more. My distress has been at times so great as to compel me to go by night and pull up roots in the plantation, though at the risk of being punished as a thief, which I have eaten raw upon the spot for fear of discovery. The roots I speak of are a very wholesome food when boiled or roasted, but as unfit to be eaten raw in any quantity as a potato. The consequence of this diet, which after the first experiment I always expected and seldom missed, was the same as if I had taken tartar emetic. So that I have often returned as empty as I went. Yet necessity urged me to repeat the trial several times. I have sometimes been relieved by strangers, nay, even by the slaves in the chains, who have secretly brought me victuals, for they durst not be seen to do it, from their own slender pittance. Next to pressing want, nothing sits harder upon the mind than scorn and contempt, and of this likewise I had an abundant measure. When I was very slowly recovering, this woman would sometimes pay me a visit, not to pity or relieve, but to insult me. She would call me worthless and indolent, and compel me to walk, which, when I could hardly do, she would set her attendants to mimic my motion, to clap their hands, laugh, throw limes at me, or if they chose to throw stones. As I think was the case once or twice, they were not rebuked. But in general, though all who depended on her favor must join in her treatment, yet when she was out of sight, I was rather pitied than scorned by the meanest of her slaves. At length, my master returned from his voyage. I complained of ill usage, but he could not believe me, and as I did it in her hearing, I fared no better for it. We did pretty well for a while a brother trader he met in the river persuaded him that I was unfaithful and stole his goods in the night or when he was on shore. This was almost the only vice I could not be justly charged with. The only remains of a good education I could boast of was what is commonly called honesty, and as far as he had instructed me, I had always been true. And though my great distress might in some measure have excused it, I never once thought of defrauding him in the smallest matter. However, the charge was believed, and I condemned without evidence. From that time, he likewise used me very hardly. Whenever he left the vessel, I was locked upon deck, with a pint of rice for my day's allowance, and if he stayed longer, I had no relief till his return. Indeed, I believe I should have been nearly starved, but for an opportunity of catching fish sometimes. When fowls were killed for his own use, I seldom was allowed any part but the entrails to bait my hooks with, 
and at what we call slack water. That is, about the changing of the tides, when the current was still, I used generally to fish, for at other times it was not practical. And I very often succeeded. If I saw a fish upon my hook, my joy was little less than any other person may have found in the accomplishment of the scheme he had most at heart. Such a fish, hastily boiled, or rather half burnt, without sauce, salt, or bread, has afforded me a delicious meal. If I caught none, I might, if I could, sleep away my hunger till the next return of slack water, and then try again. Nor did I suffer less from the inclemency of the weather and the want of clothes. The rainy season was now advancing. My whole suit was a shirt, a pair of trousers, a cotton handkerchief instead of a cap, and a cotton cloth, about two yards long, to supply the want of upper garments. And thus accounted, I have been exposed for twenty, thirty, perhaps nearly forty hours together, in incessant rains, accompanied with strong gales of wind, without the least shelter, when my master was on shore. I feel to this day some faint returns of the violent pains I then contracted. The excessive cold and wet I endured in that voyage, and so soon after I had recovered from a long sickness, quite broke my constitution and my spirits. The latter was soon restored, but the effects of the former still remain with me as a needful memento of the service and wages of sin. In about two months we returned, and then the rest of the time I remained with him was chiefly spent at the plantains, under the same regimen as I had already mentioned. My haughty heart was now brought down, not to a wholesome repentance, not to the language of the prodigal. This was far from me, but my spirits were sunk. I lost all resolution and almost all reflection. I had lost the fierceness which fired me when on board the Harwick, and which made me capable of the most desperate attempts. But I was no further changed than a tiger tamed by hunger. Remove the occasion, and he will be as wild as ever. One thing, though strange, is most true. Though destitute of food and clothing, depressed to a degree beyond common wretchedness, I could sometimes collect my mind to mathematical studies. I had bought Barrow's Euclid at Plymouth, and it was the only volume I brought on shore. It was always with me, and I used to take it to remote corners of the island by the seaside and draw my diagrams with a long stick upon the sand. Thus I often beguiled my sorrows, and almost forgot my feeling, and thus, without any other assistance, I made myself in a good measure master of the first six books of Euclid. January 17, 1763. I am, etc. End of letter 5.